Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And also, of course, by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. Another zero-day patch has been released for Google Chrome. This makes it the second such patch in just two weeks. It's identified as CVE-2020-16009, the vulnerability that is. The zero day was discovered by Google's Threat Analysis Group, or acronym TAG, a security team at Google tasked with tracking threat actors and their ongoing operations. Like the last one, details of the vulnerability have not been publicly disclosed yet, though it does appear to be exploiting something in JavaScript code. They will likely disclose more in the coming weeks after customers have had a chance to patch. And the version you'll want to get to now is version 86.0.4240.183. So patch as soon as you can. BCFocus.com reported on a potentially nasty Windows 10 bug. System and user certificates can be lost when upgrading a device from Windows 10 version 1809 or later to a later version of Windows 10. Devices will only be affected if they have already installed a latest cumulative update released on September 16, 2020 or later, and then upgrade to a later version of Windows 10 from a media or installation source that does not have a latest cumulative update released on October 13, 2020 or later. Problems appear when devices are updated with obsolete packages through the update management tool. For example, Windows Server Update Services, or WSUS, Microsoft Endpoint Configuration Manager, ISO Images, or Physical Media. There's a potential workaround of taking a path by upgrading to an older version of Windows 10, but probably best, in my opinion at least, to just wait, as Microsoft say they will provide updated installation media and updated packages in the coming weeks. This issue is particularly nasty for those who have employees working remotely who may upgrade from a bad source and all of a sudden lose their certificates, rendering them unable to log in and use some of your critical corporate services. In that case, they might have to come back on site, get on the domain, log into the services and get their certificates before they can go back home again. Not ideal in COVID times. Adobe Acrobat and Adobe Reader on macOS and Windows contain vulnerabilities that could enable attackers to execute arbitrary code on vulnerable devices. Adobe categorized the security updates as priority two updates, which means that they address vulnerabilities with no public exploits in products that have historically been at elevated risk. 
So the good news is while there are vulnerabilities for these very widely used products, at least right now they're not being actively exploited. Adobe recommends customers to update the vulnerable products to the latest versions as soon as possible. Bleepingcomputer.com reports that there are 14 security flaws affecting the two products. 10 of them are rated as either critical or important severity bugs. Interestingly, it appears to at least me that they got patches out a little earlier than usual this month. Maybe perhaps because of the severity in their probably, I assume, two most widely used products. Their patches usually line up closer to Microsoft's monthly patches. In some excellent news this week, ZDNet reports that Microsoft Teams will be getting multi-account sign-in support starting in December. Microsoft is going to enable Teams users to add additional accounts, change their profile pictures, and switch between accounts and organizations through settings according to their roadmap. So from December on, there will be no need to run Teams in containers or in incognito mode windows for your multi-account needs. So, hooray! Net Market Share released an updated list of operating systems ordered by their market share. Not surprisingly, Windows 10 has a commanding lead with around 64%, which is up, obviously, as you might expect, and will continue to grow going forward, I'm sure. What is surprising, however, is that Windows 7 still makes up about 20% of the market share. As pointed out by the awesome Ed Bot quite some time ago, Despite what Microsoft had said in the past, they are actually continuing to provide a free path forward for home users to move from Windows 7 to Windows 10 with the media creation tool. So if you know some people, maybe family members or friends or whatever, and they haven't moved to Windows 10 yet because they don't want to pay, there is still that path to get them there. Maybe let them know. ZDNet have reported that AWS is preparing their own library of public Docker image containers. This is because back in November, Docker started limiting Docker container pull requests for anonymous and free authenticated users. This change was made due to bandwidth limitations and the fact they found about 1% of their customers were responsible for 30% of all of their anonymous pulls. This limitation has presented a frustrating experience for users of AWS and other cloud platforms too, since so many of the apps consumed in the cloud are running as containers. In AWS, there are billions of requests every day for public Docker containers, so this move makes a lot of sense. And speaking of AWS, they are opening up in another region. They're opening in Switzerland in the second half of 2022. There are AWS regions already active in France, Germany, Ireland, Italy, Sweden, and the UK, and another location launching in Spain by 2023. So they'll have a lot of Europe pretty well covered by 2023. Citrix Workspace app version 20.10.0.20, or 2010 as it's being labeled, has been released. Based on the download page information, it looks like the only new features were actually released in previous versions. So for this version, we can assume there are no new features, nothing new added feature-wise, just fixes. The Marriott Starwood data breach, which was big news a few years ago and has come up on this podcast before, 
has now resulted in a fine of 18.4 million pounds by the UK Information Commissioner's Office. The fine equates to about 5 pence, 5p, per person whose data was obtained. Which immediately reminded me of the end of that Steve Martin movie, The Jerk, when he got sued for the OptiGrab because it was making people go cross-eyed and he had to sign checks for $1.09 for every customer. I guess at least Marriott won't have to go through getting checks for 5p for every single person. So at least there's that. Microsoft has received a small number of reports from customers and others about continued active exploits against a vulnerability that was affecting the net logon protocol, which I reported on this podcast previously. That was CVE-2020-1472. And it was addressed with security updates on August 11th, 2020. If the original guidance has not been applied, the vulnerability could allow an attacker to spoof a domain controller account that could be used to steal domain credentials and take over the domain. I believe the US government had put out a warning and told businesses not to wait until after the weekend to patch and to get on it as soon as possible. So if you haven't patched against it yet, you better really get on it. Once the patch has been fully deployed or the mitigation put in place, Active Directory domain controller and trust accounts will be protected alongside Windows domain joined machine accounts. They strongly encourage anyone who has not applied the update to take this step now. SecNews has reported on multiple hospitals in the east coast of the United States who have suffered attacks using the Riak ransomware. This is of course after warnings from the CISA that attacks were likely. It's believed the attacks have been launched by a cyber gang in Eastern Europe. It's being reported that there's been a 71% increase in ransomware attacks in U.S. hospitals in October. One of the hospitals that has been attacked is the University of Vermont Health Network, who stated, the attack has caused a variety of problems to our partners. Staff continue to use good practice to ensure patient care. We understand the difficulty facing our patients and the community and apologize. There have been some changes in patient appointments and we try to reach out to affected patients, they said. The hospitals that have been affected, according to SecNews, include Alice Hyde Medical Center in New York, Champion Valley Physicians Hospital in Plattsburgh, New York, Elizabethtown Community Hospital in New York, which I thought, funny enough, thought that town was actually New Jersey, um, also Porter Medical Center in Middlebury, Vermont, the UVMHN Home Health and Hospice, and also UVM Medical Center in Burlington, Vermont. So just reading the names of the hospitals and the fact that the statement was from an organization that's called the Health Network, I'm guessing that some of these campuses are related and that's how they were attacked. It was just spread throughout their campuses. It's also worth noting that Emisoft are offering free ransomware recovery services to healthcare organizations during the pandemic, which includes custom decryptors that fix known decryption bugs and can recover files faster than the threat actor's decryptors. So if you are working for a hospital and it has been hit by ransomware, they may be a good resource for trying to recover pretty quickly if they've got the decryptors. 
On the topic of the Riot ransomware, RiskIQ has just released the entirety of its unique and expansive holdings relating to the Riot ransomware. They've exposed known infrastructure components which the threat actors behind the attacks are currently relying on. So if you want to geek out on some security information, I'll share that with this episode, which is episode 149, and you'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference link. I guess in some good news, bleepingcomputer.com reported that the Maze ransomware group are shutting down their operation. What they claim is unique about the gang is that unlike other gangs who ignore communication attempts from reporters in the past, Mace, back in November 2019, contacted bleepingcomputer.com to let them know that they stole the unencrypted data from Allied Universal before encrypting them. Mace stated that if Allied didn't pay a ransom, their data would be publicly released. Ultimately, though, the ransom was not paid and Mace released the stolen data. Soon after, Mace launched a Mace news site that they used to publish non-paying victims' data and issue press releases for journalists who follow their activity. Bleepy Computer states that this double extortion technique was quickly adopted by other large ransomware operations, including Revel, Klopp, Doppelpamer, and others who released their own data leak site. So this practice is quickly becoming the norm. BleepyComputer.com reports that they stopped new attacks back in September 2020 and are currently just trying to squeeze the last ransom payments from victims. And now a hot job. Microsoft are looking for a PM for their WVD team. They state that on the team, you will create and maintain team-wide working relationships with key customer experience partners, You will establish best practices across the WVD PM team for gathering customer partner input to drive prioritization in their product plans. You'll also formalize a rhythm of customer partner connection across the team. You will help drive consistency in representing the voice of their customers in internal team reviews and discussions and more. They say that you'll be a great fit for them if you believe in making data-driven decisions through telemetry, surveys, and by talking directly to customer sales and marketing. And also if you love working in an environment where you are constantly learning and iterating quickly. Also, if you have experience driving customer insights with large enterprise customers or enterprise-focused ISVs. Some of the requirements include a bachelor's degree in computer science, engineering, or related fields. 10 plus years of program technical product management experience, passion and experience for solving enterprise problems, experience working with customers and driving product requirements, strong problem solving and communication skills, plus the ability to dive into details and drive decisions to resolve issues. Useful experience would be some Azure-based services knowledge, public speaking on technical topics, and this role would be based in their Redmond campus, and it looks like the expectation is about 0 to 25% travel, so not that much travel. And now, a weekly webinar. There's going to be a session on current experiences with MSIX by Tim Mangan. It's going to take place on the 6th of November between 4.15 and 5 p.m. Central European time. No registration is required for the event, and Tim is the godfather of AbbVie, 
No one knows more about MSIX than he does. So if you're interested in MSIX or just application packaging, virtualization, containerization, app deployment in the enterprise, you won't want to miss it. So make sure you check it out. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Since the introduction of memory compression in Windows 10 15.07 and Server 2016, the operating system is now able to store parts of the memory pages in a compressed form. When enabling memory compression, page combining is enabled automatically. And because there are no dedicated metrics for both memory compression and page combining in Windows Performance Monitor, all results are based on a combination of both features for those metrics. So, I recommend that you go to go-euc.com because they've done some really great performance analysis to try to get to the bottom of the memory compression and what performance benefits it might have and just end user experience benefits it might bring. The conclusion at the end was pretty interesting and I saw some chatter about it on Twitter, so it has piqued the interest of others and it might pique your interest too, so check that out. Andreas Nick shared a blog post on disabling some of the AppV virtual subsystems, such as the subsystem for fonts. If you don't want fonts in your AppV packages, this could be a good way to handle that globally. My own suggestion, if you do want them in your packages, just be careful where they go before you stop your sequencing. The sequencer in 5.x is pretty funky. Modifying packages after the fact often results in the XML files not getting changed to reflect what you changed within the user interface of the sequencer. So it's really odd. I'm surprised they never fixed it, but they never did. And because AbV is kind of on the way out, it does still have like six years of shelf life or so left, but I feel like they're not gonna fix that sort of thing. So it's best just to make sure everything that you want captured within your package is set correctly before you stop the monitoring within the sequencer. Andreas also had a very useful command with performance monitor to see a history of your machine's reliability issues. That's perfmon.exe slash rel. I saw a really interesting recommendation this week for opening apps with PowerShell. The author on Reddit states, while other methods don't work consistently across different versions of Windows 10 through PowerShell, this method does. I'm interested to try it out. Honestly, exposing one of my dark secrets here, I still rely on VB script sometimes if I need a launch script, maybe because it's a really long path and whatever I'm publishing the app out in, it does not handle the longer path to the executable. So maybe this is something that I could entertain executing this PowerShell script instead. I'd be interested in trying it out. And if you have any interest in any of the scripts, tricks, and tips that I mentioned on this episode, you can find them on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 149. And hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you told your colleagues and friends about it too who might have an interest in enterprise IT. And if you have the time and you could be bothered, I'd appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on your, pa- on your podcast platform of choice. Well, that's it for another week. Thank you all so much for listening.